Good morning and welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you. We are in the book of Acts this morning, chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. I should start out by saying every time I preach, it's a resurrection message. No matter where I am. And, uh, and I mean it. <clears throat> because the Bible does. Well, Acts chapter 20, we will consider verses 28 through 38. But we will stand and we will read verses 28 through 31. And so please stand for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, also from among yourselves. Men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Please be seated. Last session, it was the undaunted servant, same man, he is also an undaunted shepherd or pastor. Remember, pastor comes from the Latin for shepherd. The resurrection, of course, we all are aware that it is being celebrated throughout churches around the world. Resurrection took place at about this time of year, over 2,000 years ago. Now, there's no need to specify which resurrection. There's only one. There have been revivals and resuscitations, but only one resurrection. When Lazarus died and the Lord raised him from the dead, that was a resuscitation. Lazarus still died again, still had his body that he was born with, though matured. His glorified body was not received. When the Lord Jesus was crucified and rose again, he was in a glorified state. And uh, not to ever die again, regardless of whoever's doctrine teaches that he is crucified repeatedly. He is not. The Bible says that he was appointed to die once. Several years ago, actually a few decades, uh, I know I'm only in my, I look like I'm in my 20s, but <laughs> it's a myth. Several years ago, decades ago, an unbeliever asked me at work, what happened after the resurrection? Well, I thought it was a great question, and, and I, I took the time to answer it with, with great joy. Uh, this book of Acts, as it is known, Acts of the Holy Spirit, Acts of the Apostles, we could say the book of action. It is the book of action after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension of Christ. What happened with his disciples? What did they do? Uh, how did the church come to be? Well, it's all in this book. In fact, in the opening verses, Luke says, of all that Jesus began, both to do and to teach. And so he is telling us, and this is part of the story, it has 28 chapters. We are the 29th chapter. All the churches after Acts 28 are the continuing story about the actions of the Holy Spirit. And if you are not a believer... Um, uh, hopefully you will not be lost as we go through. 
what Christians go through to be better at serving our Lord Jesus Christ. I will add that anyone can devise a plan by which good people go to heaven. Only God can devise a plan whereby sinners who are not worthy to go to heaven can go to heaven, and that is the plan of salvation. But I want to focus on what um, is happening here in this section of Scripture. The Apostle Paul, one of the disciples of Christ, he is on his way to Jerusalem. He wants to get there for the Pentecost celebration, which is 50 days after the, 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 the Passover, the crucifixion. And uh, he's leaving what is modern-day Tur- uh, Greece, and he's stopping off in what we know as modern-day Turkey at a place named Miletus there on the coast of the Aegean Sea. And he doesn't want to go to the city of Ephesus where he had been for three years, the pastor, established a solid church there, because if he goes into the town, he's going to be, you know, delayed just by all the people dealing, you know, interactions. So he summons the pastors of that church, the leaders of the church, to meet him at Miletus, a seaport, which is about 30 miles away, and they come. And he's been telling them, you know, this is why I've done what I've done, and and this is where it's all going. And he gets to this section, the 28th section, after having told them how he served. Now he's going to tell them about shepherding, about pastoring. And looking at verse 28, he continues to speak to them. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul is about to say uh, that based on how he served and how he has matured in ministry, what he is telling them is vital. And it is going to be attacked. And he says to them that he has given them as much Bible teaching as they could handle. And that he did. And he's been going over that. I did not uh, share with you the whole counsel of God he had mentioned to them. And these Ephesians that he is talking to at this very moment, they're in heaven. Unless they became apostates, which is very unlikely with this group. Uh, They are in heaven right now because they allowed themselves to come under the authority of Scripture. Contrast the Athenians, where Paul tried to establish a church there in Athens, ancient Athens, that was a college town. And they weren't too much interested in what Jesus had done for them. The Athenians were more interested in what man could do for man. Of course, they had their false gods there that they created, incidentally, gods without basis, essentially. And uh, they weren't interested in what Jesus had done. Each of the main cities or places that Paul found himself presented a challenge, and he faced all of them, though unique, he faced them all the same way. God's word and Christ's cross. He never said, you know what, I need to come up with something different. I need to entertain these people. I need to change it to adapt adapt to their culture. He never did anything like that, and hopefully we don't either. Athens was the center of intellectual knowledge. At least it had that reputation among people. Corinth, a little south of Athens in Greece, modern-day, present-day Greece, Corinth was the center of carnal knowledge. They were lewd people there, and they were very... um, uh, they were not ashamed 
of their carnality, their sinful behavior, their immorality. They boasted about it. They, they factored it into some of their religion even. Ephesus, where these leaders are from, whom he's addressing, that was the center for occultic knowledge. So you had human intellect, not Christ. You had carnality, not morality. And here at Ephesus, you had the occult, the spiritual realm that touches demons and is touched by demons. And it is amazing how someone knowing this is Satan, knowing this is a demon, wants to buddy up with them. And this in itself is demonic. Because Satan hates all humans without exception, regardless of what a, how, how he can make a useful idiot out of Judas Iscariot, uh, did not endear Judas to him. And the end result of Judas going out and, and hanging himself uh, is a testimony to that fact that Satan uh, hates humans. Uh, so these things are spiritual. They're all of them uh, being a, a center for intellectual knowledge at the cost of rejecting Christ, to be a center for carnal knowledge, disinterested in morality, the occult, uh, these things are what Christians face to this day. And we face it the same way Paul does with the word of God and the message of the cross of Christ for salvation. So he says to them, take heed to yourselves. Uh, they were to care for their own faith first. Before they were to minister as pastors, they had to, uh, of course, uh, take careful, pay careful attention to their own walk. Then the flock. I am a Christian man before I'm a Christian pastor. And that's never going to change. That's the proper order. He wrote to the Philippians a letter that at this time of this meeting in Miletus, he had not yet written the Philippian letter. He will soon when he's put in jail. But he writes to them, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. And there he's telling them that there are those legalistic uh, people creeping into the church that are going to try to tell them they have to be circumcised to be uh, saved and they got to do this. And, and Paul is warning them there, and he used stronger language. He says, beware of the mutilation. It's, it's a euphemism the translators have put in. It's a very strong uh, word against them. It's interesting in the book of Deuteronomy, when God is telling Moses how to deal with murderers, he says, don't pity them. Uh, you know, we can end up casting pearl before swine. We, we think that, you know, we're going to save the world, and we do it the wrong way. We can do that, you know. Uh, we need to be sober-minded, wise as serpents, harmless as doves, truth and love, yes. But we also have a responsibility to uh, be uh, on watch for, for the realities because they, they can end up with an adverse Reaction. The idea is, well, you never know. Uh, that, you do know many times, and, and we're all guilty of this from, from time to time. You probably more than me, because I'm the one telling you about it. <laughs> anyway, I'm kidding. If you're visiting, I like to throw those in every now and then. Uh, but I, I hope you <laughs> I don't come off as arrogant or mean, because I can be both, <laughs> just like the rest of us. Anyway, he says, and to the flock. Now, the flock a Bible metaphor for the, the assembly, the believers of Israel, the assembly of the church. You know, goats as animals now, uh, they are browsers. They will eat just about anything. 
whereas sheep are grazers and they'll only they like grass to eat it, not smoke it, <laughs> keep off the grass. So the, these two, the difference of their in, in their diet means that the sheep and goats will come into conflict with each other if not managed. This is the case of believers and unbelievers also. The unbeliever spiritually will eat anything. Uh, and, and to some point, but this is illustrated in the Garden of Eden. The Lord says, look, from any tree you can, have, you can eat from, except one. Is that too much to ask? Well, it was. Well, that is still going on. The flock, as sheep, are supposed to be more selective in what they consume. Whereas the world can consume anything because who is it accountable to? Ultimately, to themselves in, in their practice. Jesus said, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And there you have two metaphors at work for the believers. The pastoral one, the little flock, and then the kingdom. You have a, a, a royal um, a metaphor at work there because we are subjects of a king. But we have, uh, there are parallels between the Christian life and the life, the, the pastoral life of sheep and shepherds. That dynamic is still at work. He says, shepherd the flock among, coming back to verse 28, he, he says, uh, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And I should add, uh, we've not gotten to the good part yet. Although this is the good part, but I, I'm excited about some of this. Uh, I'm not going to comment on overseers, elders, and pastors. We did that in verse 17 last session, so I'll, I'll bypass that. But I will say the Holy Spirit is the one who selects pastors. People recognize the pastors. They recognize the selections by their fruits. You will know them. Uh, that goes for the bad and the good. Uh, but here it says, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, which is the pastors, elders, pastors, uh, and overseers, synonymous. Numbers chapter 27, this is how it was in the days of Moses. Let Yahweh, the God of the spirits of all flesh, that is the life that is in the, 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 of man, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of Yahweh may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And so there we have Moses who was appointed to be the leader, who appointed Aaron. At some point they were allowed to appoint other leaders under their authority. And there you have God saying, I do not want my people to just roam around like goats. They need leadership. Uh, this will change when we get to heaven. He, we won't have to have pastors. We'll have the, the Lord is my shepherd will be in full, real, a full, fully realized fact. Uh, others in scripture that were called by God, by the Holy Spirit made overseers, Joshua, David, Elisha. So this is, this is not new to us. Pastoral, the Pastoral office and the pastor, these are given to the local church. Universal church, you know, this spread out, this is not assembled. It's just we're all Christians in that sense. But the local church, which is uh, vital, uh, is, this is Old Testament and New Testament doctrine. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15, 
God speaking through the prophet said to his people, I will give you pastors according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And so if you say, well, that was the Old Testament. Well, the New Testament, uh, Ephesians 4, he himself has given some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edification, for the making strong the body of Christ. This is the local assembly of Christ. Because again, the universal church doesn't assemble. It's there. We're all part of the universal church. But we have a principal place of worship, I hope, which would be our local church. This, as I mentioned, remains until we get to heaven. There he continues, Paul does in Ephesians 4. Now remember, we're talking about the Ephesian pastors in a place called Miletus. I'm quoting from a letter to the Ephesians, that local church, which hasn't been written yet either. So, it's so you understand what's happening. The, the, the New Testament is evolving in the days of the, it evolved in the days of the apostles. Ephesians 4.13, he says, He's given you these pastors till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. And once we get to heaven, we won't have a need for, for pastoral leadership. The Lord will, will be there. Now, if you are an unbeliever, I hope you're keeping up with this because you're going to be quizzed on it before we let you out of here. Uh, I hope you understand what I'm talking about is Christianity, how it's set up. And there's no way you could know how it is set up unless you read the Bible or someone has explained it to you. It's quite presumptuous to think that you just know these things. Uh, you just, I just know God. Uh, no, you don't. Not the true God. You have to receive. He has to reveal himself to you. And he does that in, in various ways. But never, never contrary to the scripture. The Bible as we know it. That's a whole other story. But anyway. Immature, ignorant, and often difficult people have a problem with authority in the church. It's, it's, like, it's like they signed up for it. Uh, sign me up. I want to have a problem with authority. And it just, it's just an act of faithlessness. Well, we all struggle with something. Uh, I, I hope if you've detected that in you, that you have a problem with authority in the church, that you understand it's not a virtue and it doesn't come from heaven. That is born in hell, and your flesh is accommodating it. These pastors, they don't lord over your life. They don't tell you what kind of haircut to get, what kind of car to drive, who to marry, who not to marry, with the exception of, well, they've they got to be believers. Uh, so, uh, you know, don't, don't let that be you, because the Bible has left some hard examples. Dathan. Dathan did not appreciate Moses and Aaron having that authority over Israel, so they decided to protest. Ultimately, the ground literally opened up and swallowed Dathan and his protesters, and that was the end of them. Then there's Diotrephes in the New Testament. Had the audacity to tell John the Apostle, you know, I don't want to hear what you have to say, and I don't want anybody to come to my church to hear what you have to say. Uh, you know, this stuff's not new. These are alternatives from hell, and they are here to this present day. To shepherd the church of God, Paul says here in verse 28, this is how it's supposed to work. Peter said it this way. I hope I'm not talking too quickly for you. Not that you're slow, but I mean, you know, a person can talk so quick. I, I, can't, I don't know what you're saying. First Peter chapter 5, 
Peter says to the pastors, Pastor the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And I mentioned we don't lord over your life, come and tell you what you, you know, what job to have and what not. Uh, although there are some jobs you cannot have. You say, well, like what? Well, how about being a drug pusher? That's not, you know, it's instant to, no. Well, how about I just, you know, finish up this, w- this week before, give them two-week notice? No! <laughs> so, anyway, the, the early church, the early church was clearly disinterested in calling their spiritual leaders rabbis. You ever notice that? A rabbi is a teacher, and as we, he himself has given some pastor teachers. It's one office, the pastor that teaches. And uh, a more descript title emerged. It was in use in the Old Testament, as I pointed out. But the Lord really began to bring it home, referring to the believers as a flock without a shepherd, the striking of the shepherd. And then when he gets to, with Peter at the shore of, on, on the shore of Galilee, he says, you know, Tend my sheep, feed my, you know, sheep, my, my lambs. He's very clear about Peter, who was one of the pastors of the early church. He's very clear about this pastoral uh, description, which is carried on. But here's where things also begin to change uh, for the Christian in our perspective of what's going on with Christianity. Paul says, which he purchased with his own blood. So it cost Jesus a gruesome death to open the church doors. Anytime a church door is opened, it costs Jesus his life to do this. It did not just happen. The church. Of course, he loves the church. He comes right out and says that. He died for the church. Jesus is God the Son of God the Father. And then there's the God, the Holy Spirit. These three are one. They belong with each other. Christ is sinless. He's incorruptible. When he, when he was tempted by Satan, someone might say, well, what if, he, what if he did submit to this temptation? He couldn't. He's incorruptible. That's what it means. He's said to be incorruptible. He allowed himself to be tempted by Satan. One, to serve hell notice, I'm here. And two, to let us know He's not just a prophet. He's unlike anyone else. No temptation could overtake him. Equal with the Father. So equal that this verse calls his blood the blood of God. Now you tell me if this is not a resurrection message. Which he purchased... Oh, no, go back. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Well, the antecedent and the pronouns appointing to Jesus Christ, and is calling him God. The church of God, which he purchased. First Peter 1. This is what makes uh, the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons heretics. Because it states clearly who Christ is, and they want to make up other things about who he is and deny what it says. Uh, What was the charge against Christ when they went to arrest him, to crucify him? Because you, being a man, make yourself equal with God. That was the charge against him. 
which they say, well, he never said he was God. He certainly did, and he certainly deny it. And if you took words of Christ and you put them into words of any other man, if I were to say to you, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you know I'd be a heretic. It's even comfortable using that example. Only God could make such a statement. Well, coming back to this, uh, with Christ and Peter writing, he says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. What's the blood of God? It says here in Acts 20, uh, verse 28, but here Peter is also in a total agreement with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You are paid for. The doors of the church were paid for. I don't know why so many of our younger churchgoers hear such a teaching And then flush it into the sewer and run after the world and ask Satan how they should live. Should I be cool, calm, and collected about that? Should you be somehow honored for doing such things? You better make a choice and stand up to the devil. You won't be able to say, well, my pastor never gave me the word of God. You can say, you know, he almost clubbed me over the head with it. But in love, I mean that. If you're having a problem with your faith, you stand here singing songs to the Lord, but you want to go live like a devil or follow what Satan is saying, then come to the pastors and have them pray with you. Stand up for your faith. Don't take that kind of stuff from your flesh, from the world, or from hell below, because you don't have to. And those sitting around you who have been teens, some very long time ago, uh, they know the drill. Each believer is blood-bought. 1 Corinthians 6.20 explicitly says it. Each believer paid for in God's blood. Because there's nothing more valuable or as valuable. God chose Israel. Don't, Don't miss this. But he died for the church. You see those who like to kind of think, well, you know, Israel's a little bit of outranks the church. No, it does not. They're equal. The people of God, that is. Because you can be a Jew and uh, not go to heaven. Simply being a Jew will not get you into heaven. God's address is to them as a people. As an individual, they've got to come to Christ. Uh, And this is, uh, you know, the first church was all Jewish. Uh, And then, of course, when the Gentiles came in, they flooded in. Well, there are more Gentiles on earth than there are Jews, and it makes perfect sense. God chose Israel, but he died for the church. The church that... Many church growers love criticizing, destroying, and attacking. And this is why Paul spoke to, these things, spoke to these things with tears. We'll come to that. The blood of God is the blood of Jesus Christ. Matthew 26, Jesus speaking, For this is my blood of the new covenant. Covenant, testament, same word. Which is shed for many for remission of sins. Why does he put many and not all? Because... The Jewish people don't yet know that he died for the Gentiles too. That's coming. It did come. But at this point, you know, the the church just wasn't, there was no church. Christianity really doesn't begin until Christ rises from the dead. And the church really doesn't kick into gear until Pentecost. These things were phased in. And the work to then shape the church into what it has become 
cost Paul stonings, beatings, just so much persecution because no one wanted to let go of Judaism. And that's why he talks about beware of those with the, of the mutilation. He, he got pretty nasty with that because it, from Paul's perspective, they were damning souls if they could. And so when Christ says, which is shed for many, in that is a veiled statement shed for Jews and Gentiles alike, equally. And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul, preaching those words, says to a church in Corinth that had made a mockery of the communion table. He said he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see why there was no need for me to film? What am I going to say on Resurrection Day? It's all right here. And if it, if it weren't here so perfectly, it probably would have... If we could have been in Deuteronomy or Leviticus and still would not have to alter the text to preach the truths. Now, we are not following a system of values as Christians. Our faith goes beyond religion. It goes into a reality that is unmatched. We are blood-bought and we are to be spirit-filled, and we are to be Christ-ruled. He is Lord. He is master and commander. Our flesh recoils at that. Our spirit loves it. Our spirit has no problem falling on its face and worshiping the Lord because he's worth it, and no one else is, not to receive that kind of adoration. The tribulation converts who will be martyred for their faith There's a note about them in Revelation 12, facing this tribulation. And it applies to all Christians, but it specifically targets them, but it's for us. It says, and they overcame him, this is Satan and his stuff, through through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, because they did not love their lives to death. So in other words, God, the relationship with God was more important than life. And then they proved it. Verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. The pastoral metaphors now expand. We move from the shepherd to the sheep, to the flock, to the wolves. And wolves in sheep's clothing at that. There is uh, nothing more accurate and enduring in portraying the Christian experience, when we say, the Lord is my shepherd, that's what we're saying. I'm just one of the sheep. Remove the shepherd and the wolves and the flock will not be all right. This is the case with uh, cults. This is the case with, you know, uh, the, the David Currish, uh, that years ago, the Branch Davidians, he was a false teacher, a heretic, and he took out a lot of people with him. Uh, Matthew Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I have a nice blazer. I think I wore it today. I wore it today. I did. It's a a sheep wool, but not skin. So, anyway, I don't want, maybe I just drew suspicion to myself. Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, in less than 40 years, this beloved church will be overcome by their negligence of Christ. And so he'll say, you left your first love. Pergamos, 
another of the seven churches addressed in Revelation. Their problem was Balaam's greed. Never mind what God says, there's money to be had through religion. That was Balaam. Thyatira, they had Jezebel's teaching. All you have to do is mention Jezebel's in church, and you know you got a problem. Big one. Sardis, their problem was spiritual death. They had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. Though there were some in there that still believed. And then there's Laodicea, which had many problems, but one of the big ones was spiritual apathy. And Jesus said, because you're not hot or cold, but lukewarm. You've got this apathy. You think that I, my, religious, my religious box is checked. There's nothing more I need to really do. Coming to these churches in the early days when the apostles were beginning to die off, and already while they were there ministering was Gnostic heresy, which paved the way for the Arian heresy, which is a form of Jehovah Witness doctrine, denying the lordship of the, the deity of Christ. Lawlessness was creeping into the church, but legalism was too. So there's a, Satan has a flavor for everyone. Uh, Jude said, you know, these guys are hard to pinpoint sometimes. He said, contend, contend earnestly for the faith, Jude 3, which was once delivered to the saints. In other words, we don't need a new Bible. We've got one. It's once delivered. And it closed with the apostles. He says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. Creeping into the church means they're trying to fly beneath the radar. They're deceptive. They don't want you to know what they're up to because they know it's wrong. Second Corinthians, Paul writes to the church, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder for Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. This is why he's saying, take heed, pay attention. Therefore, watch. It, you know, you've heard of some people that have street savvy or they have the instincts for whatever, maybe battlefield instincts. Paul had that for spiritual things. He wasn't the only one. But Paul had those, he was savvy about hell. He knew what they were up to. He knew how those boys did business. And he did everything to do to put them out of business on an individual level, which is why he met house to house with people, which is very time consuming and takes a lot of work. Savage wolves, they don't always look savage. That's what Jude is telling us. That's what Paul is saying. Deceitful workers transforming themselves into an angel of light. And no surprise. You have to be mature about these things and not gullible. Gullibility is not an asset. Here's the horror of it all. Flocks will consent to the wolves coming in and spiritually devouring them. We see it to this day. No false teacher can succeed without false students. Because he gets fired by just their leaving with, you know, I'm not going back to that church because they don't preach the word of God. But we, go, we get a lot of in, in today's churches. Well, they preach the word of God, but I'm not going back anyway because, and I don't want to go into that. Jeremiah chapter 14. I'm trying to figure out what I should put next. I will stay with Jeremiah 14, 14. And Yahweh said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I've not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesied to you false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. And Micah adds when he presents the same thing, and my people love to have it so. 
They love this kind of stuff. It's sarcasm. It's satire. It's, a, it's an attempt to try to reach them on some level. Again, you teens, sometimes you may hear me being sarcastic and it's satire. Trying to shake you into a reality that you can't escape. But you can do well. Or not. Your choice. Should it be any other way? If we forced you, you know, you'd be complaining about that. Jesus said, we, you know, we, 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 planned, we, we played a dirge for you and you, you know, I just lost the scripture verse, had it in my head. But essentially he says, we played a melody and you wouldn't dance. We played a dirge. You wouldn't mourn. You can't win. That's what Christ was saying to the Pharisees. You can't win with you guys. You're going to find something wrong with everything. But you won't look at the truth. Matthew seven twenty. Therefore, you will know them by their fruits. They're contradicting scripture. If they're immoral, if they're out for themselves and the list goes on, you know they're not men of the Holy Spirit given to the church. Second Peter is a little lengthy, but worth reading. But there were also false prophets among the people. Dathan, as I mentioned before, and he wasn't alone. More than 250 people with him in the rebellion. He said, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Well, that will be a judgment. It's not going to be, well, you know, your case is now going to an appellate court or whatever, or appeals. No, that's not going to happen. God's going to say, you know what? You are an enemy, and that's that. Judgment will be done. And Peter continues, and many will follow their destructive ways. Why? Why will many people follow these people? We'll come to that. Because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed. By covetedness, they will exploit you because they want something from you, not to give you something to take from you with deceptive words. <coughs> Pardon me. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Peter says, there's nothing new about this. You've got to like Peter because he too was very savvy, right to the point. Why do so many follow false prophets in spite of clear teachings in the scripture against it? Love of lower standards, that's why. They don't want the conviction. They don't want to hear it. They want their ears tickled. And Paul warned of that when he wrote to Timothy. There's an English word that I love and I don't use nearly enough. Visceral. I'm going to read the definition right from the dictionary without having a dictionary with me. That's a pretty neat trick. Proceeding, this is the definition of visceral, proceeding from instinct rather than from reasoned thinking. In other words, I don't care to think this through. I like it. <laughs> well, that is, that is a recipe for spiritual death and present death that happens all the time. I, I go with what I feel, not what I know is to be right or wrong. Do I need to say anything else about that? Because this is practice, it is out of control in humanity. We're living in a time, we're seeing, it's like there's a doofus-making machine somewhere, and they're just spitting them out, making Ford look embarrassed, not, you know, when the original assembly line, just, just blowing them out. They're all over the place. I passed a few of them on the way in. They were going in the other direction, but I knew they were doofuses. I could tell by the way their headlights were. I'm adding to it, you know, uh, what's the word? Uh, visceral. <laughs> I'm added to it, you know, I have no reason to believe that their headlights come on. It's crazy. It makes no sense. Yes, but it feels good. He says, we'll come in among you not sparing the flock. 
No care for others, only themselves. Again, the Bible has much to teach through shepherd and flock and wolves and sheep, the parallels. Paul writes to the Romans, He's a letter recently written at the time he's meeting with these pastors. He says, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Why are they simple? Because they want the lower life. They prefer the lower life, the flesh, carnality. They really are a little sick and tired of Jesus telling them, this is what's right, and this is what's wrong. This is the way to heaven. This is the way to hell. They have tired of it. What right does he have to be God? Well, you can find that out at Judgment Day. You don't fix it. Verse 30, also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Oh, Paul, you're so negative. <laughs> sure. I mean... This is a pastor at work, and they loved him. This, these, not only did they love him, later in chapter 21, when he gets to Caesarea, they're going to be loving on him too. This is the, you know, you're not expected to turn on your pastors when they're doing their job. Churchgoers will slaughter the church. That's what he says, also from among you, coming out of the church. There will rise up men speaking perverse things. Well, why didn't somebody stop them? Because they liked it. Too many times the new pastor is the wolf in sheep's clothing. Many times throughout history there's solid churches and that pastor goes to heaven and another one comes in. Not all the time, but many times. And takes that church right, right, out, of, right out of Scripture and into to the trash can. Why? Because he thinks he can do it better. He can relate to this culture. We're not trying to relate to the culture. We're trying to preach to it. We're not asking them, uh-huh, what should we do? We're telling them straight out, this is what you should do. Get yourself a life jacket in Christ Jesus. I'm so narrow-minded. If I could make it more narrow, I would. Because straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. That broad way and many shall go in by it. Not me. And Because uh, I have a say-so. Not because I have power. I've, I have the ability to say yes. Speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Sheep rustlers. That's what they are. And they're alive today. And they go to churches. And they start their little groups. And then they, zap, 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 and they whisper, come over to my stuff. That's illegal. It's sinful. And it, they, you know, I don't want to preach on that part because I, I cover it a lot. Uh, so... I've had two people say to me basic things that, uh, nice things, they were not bad or anything, just, you know, they come across, they heard something that's very basic. And I say to myself, you know, I preach that a lot. Uh, how come you're not giving me a trophy? <laughs> I, I want a badge. And I understand, it's the dynamic, it's how it is, it's not bad at all. But what, so it's more on me. The onus more on me because... As a pastor, I don't want to bore you with the same thing, so I try to introduce other things. But then, by doing that, I forget to come back to some of the basics. And, uh, and, and so I, I'm, I'm working on that, and I have a GoFundMe page <laughs> if, if you'd like to help. Uh, I, I appreciate it, you know. And anyway, 
speaking perverse things to draw the disciples after themselves. Jeremiah 6.10, because Jeremiah had to deal with this all the time. What a ministry. He says, Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They had no delight in it. There's the smoking gun. I said I'd come back to that, and there it is. I forgot all about it, actually, till right now. They have no delight in God's word. They only like sections. They cherry pick. I love you. Have you ever take your Bible and just say, man, I just love this. And you just want to touch it. Not that it's idle or anything like that. That'd be crazy. But you just understand that God has given this to us as opposed to the one that has no delight in it. They just want to be told they're going to heaven and never be held accountable. Verse 31 Therefore, again, he hits this watch. And remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn every one night and day with tears. And so they're probably saying, okay, Paul, we've heard it for three years. Uh, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. It's human nature, right? What I was talking about, if you repeat yourself too much, is oh, here he goes again. And then if I don't say it, it's like I never heard that before. <laughs> so it's that you got to work through that. It's fair. Anyhow, uh, therefore, watch. Now, watching is not the will of Satan. Satan's will is that you don't watch. He loves a slumber. Uh, anyway, he says, and remember, this church remained strong until they forgot the love for Christ. Philippians, he writes to them, he says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. I want that part that says even weeping. But I'm more prone, you know, some people were quick to bring out the first aid kit. Me, it's a hand grenade. This is my nature. It's like, well, can we blow it up? Can we, can we shoot and ask questions later? Like, you act like that's a problem. And it's just my nature. It's wrong. I'm not promoting this. Because that's so what I'm saying. So here, I, I would say, I, I've warned you for three years. Pounding on the table. But Paul says, I was weeping. I, I want that. And if I don't have it, it's because you're not praying hard enough for me. See? You just shift the guilt. It works wonderfully. Anyway, I wish, I want more of that. And I'm working all the time for it. Paul remembered how the enemies came behind him at Antioch and Galatia and at Corinth when he left They came behind him. Paul is wrong. Paul is this. Paul is that. And uh, he knows this. And so he's telling these pastors, you know I told you this. And I don't want you to ever forget it. That generation did not. They're children. They're the ones that are addressed in Revelation 3. He says that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone. Intolerance towards troublemaker is for the flock. Intolerance towards troublemakers is for the flock. But you have a situation here where a pastor will straighten somebody out and the people say, he did what? Out comes the grenade. It's the only way to fix it, right, Lord? Not at all. It's the wrong way. So, but it's just true, you know, you just, you, you, you just be, let's not be that guy. There's uh, two sides to every story. And usually, those in authority have the authority to set it up the way they have it. Uh, Anyway, night and day with tears. 
These tears indicate that his ministry was not one of cold facts alone, but it pastoral passion was a part of it. Pain was a part of it. And, uh, you know, I think, how many Christians understand pastoral ministry? If I had to give a percentage, I'd probably say two, and not being funny. I think the older ones begin to get it. I asked the pastor, I said to them this morning, I said, I'm going to say this to the congregation, but I want to make sure I'm not speaking for you. You tell me, if you have learned things about pastoral ministry that you never would have learned unless you became a pastor. And the hearty response was, yeah, it's true. It's a fact. And yet some think they should, they read their Bibles, they're Christians, they should just know. That's not the way it is. And that's why Paul is laying out pastoral ministry to the flock. Uh, to not take control over their lives but to guard the church that Christ bought with his blood. That's how serious he is about the local church. Verse 32, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So now he kicks back to basic Christianity. Uh, moving from a leadership message to just treating them as Christians, because that's what they are. And uh, he's going to commit them beyond his care as their pastor, and he's committing them to God. Now, legalists, uh, I'm going to read some paraphrasing from uh, my pastor, Chuck Smith. Legalists were going to tell them of things they ought, to be doing for God, rather than emphasizing all the things that God has done for them. Putting people into a legal relationship with God, rather than a loving relationship with Him. I can't add to that. He quotes me too, when he was... No, he didn't. (laughs) So, here Paul, he knew God's word as the word of God's grace, that's what he calls it. Almost done. It's, it's Resurrection Sunday. You signed up for it. So we got to finish this. Which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified. Wherever you find a strong Christian, you're going to find a Bible-reading Christian. One that is submitted to the Scripture. I have never met a strong Christian that doesn't read the Bible. Boy, that guy's pretty solid. He just guesses that stuff. Uh, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You know why he says that to this church, I think? This is my take on that. Because I don't think he had that problem with them. I think he's still stinging from the, the, heart, the heartache Corinth gave him. Uh, you know, they're the ones that would say things like that to him. And, and so he's, you know... He he points it out. Anyway, verse 34. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. That's that's pretty much. He's no freeloader. He deserved a salary, but he waived it. Things have changed over the years. You just can't do it this way. In fact, Philippi, the church in Philippi, sent him money more than once. To meet his needs. So in, in that sense, you know, he, he certainly did receive uh, payment. First Timothy 5, let the pastors who rule well 
be counted worthy of a double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. And so uh, th- there you have Paul saying, hey, you want those guys to be doing their job? Well, you're going to have to free them from working out in the cornfields or wherever it is they're working. Uh, you, if they're moonlighting as pastors, it's, it's not going to be to your disadvantage. Uh, messages will be incomplete. They will be repetitive. They will lack research and depth, and it will be your fault. That's what he was pretty much baked into that. Uh, anyway, uh, he restrained covetedness by, by these sayings, that hidden desire of the heart. That's covetedness. And when he, back in nine, chapter 19, his aprons and handkerchiefs, you know, blessed people, that's from his workshop as a, uh, uh, a worker with canvas, pretty much. Uh, verse 25, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than receive. Well, we don't have those words in the gospel. They're preserved, probably part of the oral tradition. John told us, listen, I can't write down everything he didn't said. It just, you know, John 21, verse 25, so he just said didn't so much. So we have that uh, preserved point. Uh, and I, I, give, I try to give people a chance to, to live that towards me. Better to, better to give than receive. Uh, I, the humor is, of course, we know better. Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. It's too easy to give up on prayer. You're tougher than that. There's more to your faith than giving up on prayer over the decades. And the devil knows it's easy to give up on prayer. Paul wrote already to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. He will write to Timothy, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Verse 37, then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Oh man, I mean, you know, just what a sight. They're weeping. They love their faithful pastor so much. The thought of not seeing him again, the thought of him being manhandled and killed is just emotional to the point where only tears could could comment on what was going on in their hearts. Um, and verse, 20, the verse 38, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. And so there they are sobbing. The word sorrowing here is the same word. It is a, only you, uh, Luke uses it in the New Testament. It carries the idea of torment and anxiety mixed in. It's the same word that is used of Mary and Joseph when they lost track of boy Jesus. And, and uh, you know, when Luke chapter 2 describes uh, we've been, you know, agonizing. Where have you been? And, and it, it, you read it and you think they were just saying, we were looking all over for you. But that's not the part of the story. The part of the story is they were angry and angry. And, they, you know, because it was intense. Imagine losing your kid in Walmart for an hour. I remember as a boy, on no less than three occasions, a little guy, I'm at the counter saying, I can't find my mom and dad. I, th- I, I think three times it was on purpose. I think they were trying to get rid of me. I just, you know, and they, he's, they found him again. Nowadays, I don't know, you know, they would, little boy lost, please come to the sock counter or whatever, and there I'd be. They, just as a precaution, they put me in kitty handcuffs. Uh, no, they didn't. Anyway, 
did they see Paul again? Probably, because later he reads, uh, Trophimus I have left sick in Miletus. Uh, what a wonderful way to close this. Here these, these believers are doing all that Jesus began both to teach and to, to do. And it's just a, a marvelous story. sets the bar for us. And it tells every Christian, don't lower the standard. Reach for it. Reach up for it. For it. Keep doing that. Let's pray. You went a little long this morning, I should let you know. (laughs) Our Father, uh, nothing to add to that. Just grateful as a believer for you preserving this record on our behalf for the work of ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. Uh, There are, however, those that have never opened their heart to you, and we are always mindful of them. We want them to look at the evidence, to reason through it, to not listen to those who are anti-Christ without listening to Christ. If you have been listening and you have sensed that God is wanting you to come to him, to come under his authority and his love, to become his friend, on his terms. If you, you sense that, you have an opportunity to act on it. If you just open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I, I admit I, I am a sinner. I break your laws. You being the Son of God has every right to make laws. And when we break them, it is a miracle that you make a way for us to be forgiven. I admit my sin and I come to you and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you not only to forgive me, but to fill me with your spirit and to have me be one of your own. I I offer my life to you right here, right now. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they not be ashamed of that confession and may they act on it. And when asked if you've given your life to Christ, may they be quick to respond that they have. These things we commit to your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.